was interesting because all last week it was like upper 80s, low 90s. It was hot. It was sunny. Skies were clear. And then Friday night rolls around, and then we get a light show in the sky. There's lightning everywhere. Then we start hearing the thunder, and it came on immediately. It was like from clear skies to the thunderstorm. And you know what the reality is of life? Life's just like that. There are times in our life that things just seem good. It's like open skies, clear skies, things are going well. And all of a sudden, <laughs> same thing that happened on Friday night physically happens to us and rocks our world that quickly. When we thought it was just smooth sailing, things were okay, life comes at us. And we never know when it's going to happen. It comes just as that storm rolled in. All of a sudden, that's what happens in life. Circumstances, trials, sufferings, they come at us. With that in mind, let's go ahead and pray about the message that God's going to teach us through his word this morning. Father, as we speak of the sudden things that come upon us, the, the trials in life, Father, what are we to do? Where are we to go? How are we to endure? Father, we know academically that the answer is you. But God, we pray that you would drive that truth so near and dear to us this morning. That God, you are faithful. And that you are good. So Father, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us more this morning through the study of your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, if you are taking notes, the title of the message this morning is, It is I Do Not Be Afraid. Coming straight from our text this morning, we're continuing in our study through the book of John this morning. We're in John chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 16 through 21 this morning. If you have a Bible or you have your bulletin, please open it up to where the text is listed. And if you could rise to your feet for the honoring of the public reading of God's Word, we're going to read John chapter 6, verses 16 through 21. I'll start in verse 16. We read, When evening came... His disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So reads God's inerrant, infallible, and holy word. Please be seated, church. Now, I don't know if you have a swimming pool in your backyard. We have a swimming pool. But have you ever tried this one? It doesn't work. So if you go up to the pool and you decide to step out on the pool, you're not going to walk across it. So what we read this morning, John is recording the fifth miracle, the fifth sign that he has recorded in his gospel. We're looking at the fifth miraculous sign that he's recorded. We also see it recorded in the other gospels in Matthew chapter 14 and in Mark chapter 6. They also record this miracle happening. And before we get into discussing this miracle this morning, some people get confused with another incident that happened. Prior to this one, Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about another incident that happened on the same sea. That Jesus was in the boat with the disciples. They went out into the sea, 
and a storm came upon them, a storm so great that the water started coming into the boat and they were beginning to capsize. And do you know where Jesus was at that time? You know, he was sleeping. And the disciples come running to him and shake him like, Master, do you not care that we're perishing? And he wakes up and he rebukes the wind and the waves and calm comes upon them. And the disciples are in awe of, who could this be that could even command the wind and the sea to obey him? That's a separate incident. This morning we're looking at another time that they're on the same sea. A completely distinct and separate time, not the same. That time they were afraid because the ship was about to capsize. The boat it wasn't a ship, it was a boat. This time, we read from the other Gospels, the only time they become fearful is when they see something on the water walking. And they don't know what that is. They've never seen that before. Have you? If it's pitch dark outside and you see what looks like a person walking across the water, what would you think? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ah, that's a good, that's a good one. I like that. So this is absolutely stands alone, a separate time. And basically, John is only picking up on saying, look, who could walk on water? Who is able to do that except God himself? Who could defy the laws of nature except the one who created them? And that is his whole point of putting this in to say, look, there's Jesus' deity on display. Here he is defying the natural laws of nature. And he's walking on water. He's commanding the wind and the waves to cease. But this morning, we're also going to be looking at this same Jesus is the one that initiates or calls people. We're going to see he's the one that called them to go out on the water. And he's the same one that calls us to come to him, to follow him. And he's also the same one that will sustain us through the trials of life. But not just that, what we'll see this morning is he'll also complete it all. He'll be the finisher of our faith. Until we see him face to face, he is there from start to finish. If you're taking notes this morning, we'll be looking at four points this morning. The first one is obeying Jesus. We'll see that in John chapter 6, verses 16 and 17. Second point we'll look at this morning, facing trials. John 6, 18. And some of you are like, can't we just skip that point and keep going? Facing trials. I don't like that part. Third point this morning, receiving divine help. We'll see that in John chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. And lastly, enjoying victory in Christ. John 6, 21. I'll give you a second, those of you jotting that down this morning. As you are, the first one we're going to see is obeying Jesus. Now, doesn't that word just obey, doesn't that have like a bad, even a bad rap? Obey. There's even a, a skating company called Obey Propaganda. See a bunch of kids walk, walk around with Obey and it says Propaganda. What does that mean? Propaganda. Because they're making it up. I mean, you don't have to do that. Don't obey. Obedience is bad, they would say. It restricts you. But Christ commands us to follow him. He commands us to obey him. We'll see in verses 16 and 17, we see the disciples, it was evening time. They go down to the sea. They get into a boat. They start across the sea. It's dark. Jesus is not there. You say, well, well how did this all come up? And how does this deal with obeying Jesus? We don't see anything in this text about obeying Jesus. Well, what we did is, as I mentioned earlier, John was concerned about this is God. 
God who walks on water. God who commands the waves and the wind to obey Him. But when we look at the other Gospels, we look at Matthew, we look at Mark, and we piece together everything they've put together, we see that it's Jesus that commanded them to go get in the boat. Jesus told them, go down, get in the boat, and go across to the other side. What did they do? Exactly as they were told. Jesus is the one that told them to go. It's somewhere between 6 and 9 p.m. And they get into a boat to head across the sea. You know, I find it interesting that in none of the Gospels that record this, we don't see any of the disciples fussing. What's he talking about? Didn't we just get here because we came to find a place to rest and to eat? We've had no time to eat, so we come to this desolate place. Jesus then tells us to feed the 5,000 people. Doesn't he know we're tired? Nobody says anything. They do as he says. And you know, out of the disciples, who would we pick to say something foolish? We would expect at least Peter. Peter should have said something, right? Like, Lord, you know we're exhausted. You want us to get in a boat now and row? I mean, we would expect it from Peter. But we see nothing. What we see is them doing exactly what Jesus said to do, with no objections. In all three Gospels, this miracle is recorded, Matthew, Mark, and in John. And the disciples in all three of them did exactly as Jesus had commanded them. They got in the boat. They headed across the sea. Church, they just obeyed Jesus. They did as he commanded. They followed his instruction. Jesus, and it's important to see this, he is the initiator of this entire incident that's about to happen on the sea. He is the one that told them to go out there. They are just following what he has commanded. And church, do you realize that he is also the initiator in our lives? He's the initiator. Of all that we do, of all that goes on, he's the initiator. He is the one that has drawn us to faith. And as we'll see, he's also one that will complete it. Jesus has called us to come to him. He has called us to come to him for eternal life. He's called us to come to him for rest for our souls. Some of you are very familiar when he spoke in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For many of us, a very familiar passage, very familiar statement that Jesus would say to come to me. But he says that you might have rest for your souls. You know, there's a very, very influential, very popular hymn that we've sung before. Maybe you sing it at home, but it is well with my soul. Think about the weather last week, sunny, clear skies, things are good. Isn't it easy to sing things like it's well with my soul when things are going great, when life is sunny and shining? But what about when things come crashing down as the thunder and the lightning came down? Is it that easy to sing that? For some of us, it's not. For some of us, the reality of the trials and the suffering that's going on, it's not that easy. But church, does it change the truth? Because if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've come to him, guess what? All is well with your soul. 
Look at me with just the verses of this hymn. This hymn starts off in verse 1. It says, when peace, and by the way, I'm not going to sing it, so I'm going to spare you. If you guys want to sing along, feel free, but I'm just going to read. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. The chorus, it is well with my soul, it is well with my soul, it is well, it is well with my soul. Verse 2, look at this. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. Again, we see the chorus. It's well with my soul. It's well with my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. Verse 3. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. The chorus again, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Verse 4. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. And then the chorus again. Did you notice in those lyrics that there is rejoicing it is well with my soul. But do you notice some of the content in those lyrics? Trials. It is during those trials that we can still rejoice. It is well with my soul. Because church, if we don't focus on that truth, and it's not some, some, some false hope that we just try to feel good about ourselves and try to make it through, it is the truth that we have in Christ, that he has come to give us rest for our souls. That although life might bring trials, that we have our rest in Christ. And we can rejoice, it is well with my soul. That brings us right into our point number two this morning, which is facing trials. Facing trials. Might seem very minor to you, but as the disciples go out on the sea, we read in verse 18, the sea became rough because of a strong wind that was blowing. The other gospel says the wind was against them that they were being beaten by waves. I imagine as I go into the beach and I try to step into the water, if waves keep crashing on me, if you ever been there, you know it's hard to get out, especially if you're carrying a surfboard or some kind of board, you keep getting beat back. They're out in the middle of the sea. They're trying to do what Jesus said, and yet they're being beat back. One after another, wave upon wave. The Sea of Galilee itself, Josephus describes it as being about 4.6 miles wide and about 16.1 miles long. Fairly big sea. It also is about 700 feet below sea level. And it's surrounded by hills that are about 2,000 feet tall. So you do the math, you have a 2,700 foot descent down to the water. So what happens there, and it happens to this day, is cool air rushes over the slopes, rushes down with that water, hits that water, and immediately stirs up a violent windstorm and waves in the water. And it comes quick. That's what happened to them before when they were crying out to Jesus. That's what's going on right now as they're on the sea. They're trying to get across. And these at least seven of these guys are fishermen. They're guys that made a living out on the sea. And they're not getting anywhere. They're not making any headway as they go across. Don't forget, they're also tired. The whole reason why they had gone to the other side was to find a desolate place where Jesus was going to take them 
so they could find some rest. So now they're exhausted. It's now six to ten hours later of trying to row across this sea where they're not making any headway. And they're being barraged wave after wave after wave. And they keep trying to press forward, but they keep getting knocked back. And they keep trying to press forward, and they keep getting knocked back. And you know what? Sometimes we feel the same way. Man, I'm trying to strive forward. Man, I'm trying to press through this. These obstacles that are in front of me, these challenges that are in front of me, I keep trying to press forward, and I keep getting knocked back. And at times, just like the disciples, we begin to feel exhausted. We feel like, I'm at the end of my rope. I don't have any more. I mean, like on the boat, I can't row anymore. I've got nothing left. That's what's going on with them. But in our lives, maybe it's at work. Maybe it's a coworker or a boss. And somebody who it doesn't matter how much you try to demonstrate the love of Christ to them, that honestly, they just come back at you. And they slander you. And they mix up a bunch of stuff. Maybe it's in a relationship where you try to demonstrate Christ to that person, whether it be a husband, a wife, or a friend. And yet, they're always coming at you. You're trying to take one step forward, trying to press on in the faith, and yet this obstacle, this trial is in front of you. It happens all over the place. It could be in our finances. Where one day we're like, oh, good, there's money in the checkbook. And then all of a sudden the car breaks down and you have to go do repairs. And you're like, oh, there's no money anymore. It happened that fast. I wasn't anticipating the car to break down. Which, by the way, really happened in my life. My daughter's little cheap piece of junk car took $2,400 worth of, of upgrades or whatever it needed. I don't know, forgive me, mechanic people, but it needed stuff to make it go vroom, vroom. And the little cushion of money I thought I had was whoop, gone in an instant. What I thought I had as the little security blanket there, gone. And it happened immediately. It could happen with our health. One day we can go to the doctor and go, wow. You've lost some weight, you're looking good. And the next time we go back to the doctor, he goes, I'm sorry to tell you. We just found out X, Y, or Z. That quickly. Circumstances can change. Trials can come into our lives. And at times we begin to wonder, why? Why? Why is this happening? Why is this going on in my life? I mean, God, I'm trying to follow you. I'm trying to obey you. And God, where are you? Where are you right now when this is going on? Warren Wiersbe made a very intriguing statement. Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, sometimes we are caught in a storm because we've disobeyed the Lord. He says Jonah's a good example of that. But he says, sometimes the storm comes because we have obeyed the Lord. Sit there and chew on that for a second. What? I mean, naturally we would think, you know, I'm going to be disciplined when I disobey. As a father would discipline his child, so our Heavenly Father should discipline us. He disciplines those whom he loves. But what about when we've obeyed? The disciples, they're just doing what Jesus said. He said, get in the boat and go. Go across, and that's what they've done. They've obeyed him, and yet they find themselves in a storm. You think Jesus is on shore going, oh, shucks, I forgot about that one. Probably should have warned him about that. He's not caught by surprise. He's commanded them to go. And just like us, he's commanded us to follow and obey. And yet some of us, even right now, find ourselves in a storm. And it's dark. And it's troubling. 
And we say, why, God? Why? Well, we get some comfort in, in James. And you say, James gives comfort? Because James is very direct. But in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, and hang on with me as we go through it. I'll explain it. But he says in verse 2, count it all joy. And my brothers and brothers and sisters, fellow believers, he says, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now stop there for a second. Think about the suffering or trials in your life or the news that you heard. Is James saying, jump up and click through his woohoo? Is that what he's talking about? Absolutely not. He's not saying to enjoy it. Suffering is not enjoyable. But he's saying the suffering that you're going through, first you have to understand God's in complete control. God knows exactly what you're going through. You're not alone. And that that suffering God is going to use for your good and for his glory. James writes here in verse 3, he says, You know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, God allows trials in our life, and he doesn't waste them. It's not just so that we can suffer. It's not so he looks at us and says, oh, great, they're miserable. It's because he's conforming us into the image of Christ. It's because he's working in our lives for our good and ultimately for his glory. He is perfecting us in the faith. And church, I will tell you this. If you're here this morning and you have not come to Christ and you hear there's trials for the believer, you might go, I want nothing to do with that. I got my own trials. Why would I want to come to Jesus and still have trials? I want to come to a Jesus that makes everything perfect and peachy and life is, you know, live happily ever after. I want a Disney fairy tale. Well, here's the deal. You're going to have trials on both sides. It comes on both, but one side is a hopeless condition. And it's just suffering. But in Christ, he's using those for our good and for his glory. And he's going to turn all that stuff where we wonder, why is this happening? God, where are you? He is right there. And he's working through that. He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't left you. He's working in those sufferings. Again, it's always for our good, for his glory. Church, you need to know that God has not abandoned you in the storm. You're not alone. He is with you. He is right there with you. He also helps you in the storm to overcome. Point number three is receiving divine help. You're like, about time we get to some good news. Divine help. That he's there to help. Verses 19 and 20 of our text this morning, speaking of the disciples, we read that when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. Church, it is about three to six o'clock in the morning. The other gospels say the fourth watch which starts at 3 a.m., goes to about 6 a.m. They've been rowing for up to 10 hours at this time in a journey that should not take that long. They're basically stuck in the middle of the sea. Going, we're going because Jesus said to go, but we're not getting anywhere. We're not making any headway. They're struggling. They're exhausted. And they got nothing left. And what happens? Jesus comes to them. They've strived. They've done all they possibly could in their flesh to obey and go. And guess what? In their flesh, they're not successful. They can't get it done by themselves but there's a helper. And the helper does something miraculous by coming to them. Now you would think he would just be in a boat coming out to them saying, hey, I'm here. It's I. Don't be afraid. But instead he comes out in a miraculous fashion. He 
walked to them. Now, there are some very liberal scholars that say it was some kind of like sandbar or they make up all kinds of stuff that Jesus wasn't really walking on water, that he was actually, you know, on top of something coming out. Really? I told you last time when we talked about the fish, the, the fish and the loaves, the same scholars would say it was just a lesson on people sharing their lunch, that Jesus didn't actually multiply it. I shouldn't even call them scholars. These fiction tellers that would deceive people that this isn't the attributes of God while it absolutely is the attributes. This is who he is. We're talking about Jesus walking on water on the Sea of Galilee. It's not a sandbar. He's defying the laws of nature. He's walking right through the wind, right through the waves. It's Jesus. Church, who could do that? Who could walk on water? Who could walk through waves and wind that the boat couldn't get through and he's just coming straight through them? Only the one who has created those same laws of nature. Only the one who upholds the universe. That's what John's point was to write this. Saying this Jesus, this is God. This is God in human flesh. The disciples we know from the other Gospels, when they see him coming, they don't know it's him. They actually think it's a ghost and they freak out. They're like, look, there's a ghost. And they become terrified. Uh, I think it's Matthew's gospel goes in where even Peter would say, Lord, if it's you, call me to come to you. And you guys know that whole exchange as he comes out, keeps his eyes on Jesus. And Peter's able to do what Jesus commanded him to do. He's doing the impossible. Why? Because Jesus commanded him to. He said, come to me. And yet, once he took his eyes off the Lord and put it on the, the wind and the, and the waves, he began, and here's the interesting thing Matthew says, he began to sink. You ever stepped, like I said, if that was a pool and I stepped on it, I don't begin to sink. I drop immediately into that water. So even at that time when his eyes are off, Jesus is still sustaining him. He doesn't just fall headlong into the water and he's drowning. He begins to sink. He says, oh, Lord, save me. And Jesus does, brings them into the boat. John doesn't record all that because John's purpose is just looking straight at Jesus. He is God. He is deity. But what is interesting, I went through all three passages from the different Gospels and just highlighted what is different, what is the same, and what is exactly the same. The only thing exactly the same that all three perspectives looked at, it was evening time. They all know that. Well, it's not that much information for us. But exact words is what Jesus said. It is I do not be afraid. Each gospel writer decided that was an important fact to write exactly that way. It is I. And church, if you think about it, those are extremely comforting words. One in a storm, one in trouble, to hear Jesus say, it's I. Don't fret. Don't be afraid. It's okay. But unwrapping this a little more, Jesus is doing a little bit more because in the Greek, he is using the Greek term ego emi. And ego emi means I am. It's the same thing he'll use later on in this context when they get to shore and he teaches the people that I am the bread of life. Same Greek term. You go, what's the big deal with that? Why is that a big deal? Because that's what God referred to himself as. He said, I am uh, who I am. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, God tells Moses, he says, I am who I am. 
ego ami would be the Greek translation of this Hebrew. The same word, I am. And Moses says, say, or God says, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. Well, guess who's amongst the disciples now? Jesus. And guess who Jesus has said he is? He's God clothed in human flesh. And he introduces himself as I am. Ago ami. I am he before you. I am with you. He comes to them in their trouble. He reminds them that God is with them and that he, Jesus, is the great I am. Jesus, the great I am. He is God. And fellow believer, listen this morning, he is with you. He's with you. He's with you in your trials. He's not abandoning you. He is with you. And he says, it is I. Do not be afraid. Oh, just think about that. Jesus being there saying, don't be afraid. Think about the blessed assurance that we have of Christ's presence in our life at all times. That's a glorious comfort to know that he is there. He is there to comfort us. I love what John Calvin said about this. Calvin says, it is in Christ's presence alone that we have abundant grounds of confidence so as to be calm and at ease. God is with us. That although I don't understand everything about the storm, although I don't understand everything about what's going on, these circumstances in my life, and though it is difficult to navigate through this, I know that God is with me. That God has not abandoned me. That God will not leave me. He will not forsake me. And He will complete this. He hasn't left me to my own ways. He will be there. And that brings us to our last and final point this morning, that we get to enjoy victory in Christ. That he doesn't start us on this journey just to allow us to falter and fade and to suffer. But instead, he will begin the journey and he will take it all the way to completion. That's our God. What he begins, he finishes. John chapter 6, verse 21. Remember how this started? Jesus commanded them to go to the other side of the sea. They try the best they can to get there and they cannot. And we read in 21 that they were glad to take Jesus into the boat and immediately... The boat was at the land to which they were going. Now there's a whole other miracle included in this right here. First we have him walking and, and, and commanding the wind and the waves. But then we have a boat being transported immediately to where it needed to go. And we'll look at that in a second. Both Matthew chapter 14 and Mark chapter 6 say that when Jesus got in the boat, the wind ceased. As soon as he stepped in the boat, the wind just stopped. Imagine being there, seeing this wind that you've been fighting for hours, these waves crashing over the bow of the boat, and all of a sudden Jesus steps in the boat and everything just stopped. That's what they experienced. A complete calm. And again, Jesus, proving who he is, that he is God, is just fulfilling what was written in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it refers that only God can calm the waves. We read this in Psalm chapter 89, verse 9. It says, you rule the raging of the sea when its waves rise. You still them, speaking of God. Psalm 107, verses 28 through 30. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then, listen to verse 30. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. What did John just record 
in verse 21. Exactly what Scripture had said. This is what God does. And he unveils that right before our eyes that this is what Jesus has done. He who claims to be God is God. Jesus is him. He's come to the disciples in the midst of their troubles. He calms the storm. And then, not just calms it, but he ends this, verse 21, with another miracle. He records that once Jesus got in the boat, immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Jesus commanded them to go, and Jesus got them there. He started it, and he finished it. Church, it's encouraging to know the same Lord who begins our journey will be faithful to finish it. That when trials come and troubles come in our life, and we think, oh, how am I going to navigate this? How will I get through? That the same God who was faithful, same God who breathed life into me, is the same God that will complete this journey of faith till I see him face to face. What a glorious day we have to look forward to. That regardless of what we look at today, no matter what comes in our life today, as believers in Jesus Christ, we can say, it is well with my soul. It is well. That my God is in control. That he hasn't turned a blind eye. This isn't going on in my life because he doesn't know what's going on. That he is right there and he knows exactly what's going on. The same one who's begun it is the same one who will finish the work. We read in Philippians chapter 1, verse 16. Excuse me, verse 6. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul's writing... To the, to the believers in Philippi, he says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul's just assuring them, look, whatever comes your way, know this. He who started this, Jesus, he's going to take you all the way through and he's going to finish. He's not going to abandon you. His promise is he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He says, lo, I'll be with you till the end of the age. Jesus is always there. Next chapter of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 12, 13, Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What does that look like for the disciples? Jesus said, go across the sea. Okay, here we go. Were they successful? No, but they're trying. They're not making it, but they're trying. Verse 13 says, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Church, how do you know that you're his? Because a miracle has occurred in your life when you've come to him that he's given you a new heart with new desires. All of a sudden, instead of only concerned about yourself, about pleasing me, myself, and I, now you're concerned about pleasing God. And instead of one time just saying, you know what, sin's no big deal, whatever, everybody sins, look at them, look at those people, they all sin. Now all of a sudden the reality that I've sinned before a holy God. The conviction is entirely different. And because it's different, I must do something different. I can't respond to it the same way. Why does that take place? Because it's him who's working in me. As Paul wrote, both to will, to even desire to do it, but also the ability to do it, that I might be able to please my God. The one who first loved me, that I might be able to love him back. It's an amazing thing. And then we read finally in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 to 24. Paul closes and says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 24. He 
who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. How many times have we been in the midst of a storm thinking, I don't see the light. There is no way out of this. I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know how I'm going to get through it. Guess what? He'll get you through it. He will sustain you. He will help you to endure in that trial for your good and for his glory. Look, the same Jesus who gave his life for you that you might live is the same Jesus that will be faithful till the end. The same Jesus who paid the penalty for sin is the same Jesus that continues to intercede for you today. This same Jesus who is faithful to save you when you call upon him is the same Jesus who is able to save day after day, never going to stop. It doesn't go away. He does not abandon his children. He is faithful. This same Jesus who called you to this race of faith is the same Jesus who will help you finish the race. This same Jesus. He is the one who this morning says, It is I. Do not be afraid. He is here. He is the author. He is the finisher of our faith. He will get you through the storm. And guess what? As you navigate through it, and he gets you through the storm, we get to enjoy the victory that we have in Christ. And we get to look back at a storm that we said there was no way through it and say, wow, God. Wow. But all the way through, we can say, it is well with my soul. Because if my God is for me, who can be against me? Let's pray, church. Father, we thank you for your word, the power of your word. God, that it is your word alone that's spoken and preached that brings salvation to the lost, that Christ would illuminate his words to those who are apart from him to draw a man and woman and child unto him as he's commanded them to come to him that they might receive eternal life. Father, I pray for anyone in this place this morning that, God, they would turn to Jesus, that they would follow Jesus. Father, for the rest of us who... God, you have rescued us. You have forgiven us our sins. But God, there are still trials. There are still sufferings. And there are times that, frankly, God, we just don't get it. We don't know why. Why is this going on? Father, I pray that you would show yourself evident in the midst of that storm, just like you did to these disciples. That when we are at the end of ourselves, that there's nothing left, that we're trying to follow, we're trying to obey, that God, you would come and you'd bring us victory through the storm. God, we know you're able. We know, God, that you guarantee that you will sustain us till the end. And we praise you for that. God, we pray you strengthen us by your spirit to continue to follow you all of our days. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.